My name is Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. Our first reading this morning comes from 1 Peter, the second chapter. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. If you are the sort to notice, and remember, the chapter numbers from Sunday to Sunday, then you may well have noticed that Lent, like a lot of the church year, is one of these seasons in which we jump around quite a bit. We don't just read the gospel straight through. And in this year's case, we're, of course, bouncing around the timeline in Luke. For today, as a way to get into this question, why do we do what we do in worship, we're first going to consider how and why we might jump into this section of Luke for today as part of Lent, as opposed to how and why we will jump back into this section in a few months for a different reason. When I say this section, I mean Jesus's final journey to Jerusalem. And much of what is unique to the Gospel of Luke is found in this section which is sort of unique to Luke. 
we can call it sort of unique, because the journey is in each of the four Gospels. All of them record Jesus heading toward Jerusalem for the final time, anticipating his crucifixion. However, Luke gives us more of it, more stories, more teachings, and so on. And as Luke records it, most of these teachings are about discipleship. They're about the high cost of following Jesus, both then during his ministry and now after he's gone. Bear in mind that Luke was written as two volumes. The second half, the second volume, is the Acts of the Apostles, as in what the early church was up to. Luke has a particular eye on what it means to be a follower of Christ after he's gone. It comes as no surprise, then, that he records the highest number of stories and teachings about what it means to be a disciple. Since Jesus gave many of these teachings along the way to Jerusalem, Luke records them as such, making it an important section for this gospel and for our consideration. Hence, it comes up a few times. So what does that look like for us today? As Jesus nears the end of his earthly ministry, he lays bare just how difficult it's going to be to carry on the work after he's gone, and along with laying bare other things, right? Like the coming crucifixion. This is going to be painful, humiliating, and costly. For him, of course, but for each of us, too. The reality laid bare is one of our recurring themes in the season of Lent. We're looking at the human condition. We consider our frailty, our mortality, our sinfulness. Our inability to save ourselves comes up once again as we hear of a case in which Christianity is illegal and those such as Herod seek to kill God's people. Consider the journey and today's text from the perspective of the followers there what it would be like if you were there in the story. Within the story, if you saw this taking place, it would sound arduous, difficult, maybe even hopeless. No surprise, once again, that many of those followers don't make it to Jerusalem. If Jesus is sincere, if he really dies there and leaves you with this insurmountable amount of work, then what are we to say of your lot in life? Sure doesn't sound good. He's going to die a criminal's death, and it will be humiliating, torturous, these are dire circumstances, and the future seems bleak. That's the kind of stuff we would typically dwell in during Lent. But because we're going to do something a little different this year, let's consider how we might, and usually do, jump into this section at another time of the year. Yes, there's this high cost, and Herod presents real danger, yet Jesus implies authority over these earthly forces and sets out to pay that cost for us, even though we don't deserve it, like the people of Jerusalem he mentions here. We know how this ends. He'll be greeted on Palm Sunday. That's the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord reference. And by the time that week, Holy Week, is out, we know there's the resurrection and, the sal and that salvation is effected. Salvation is declared a matter of grace, not something that can be earned. Jesus will give himself up for those who do not deserve it, including the very people who would have him killed. At this time of the year, we typically dwell in our shortcomings as a call to repent. But at another time, we might see this as prompting us to respond to God's grace in light of what Jesus has done for us in light of the gospel as a whole. We might seek to do our best to live up to Jesus' demands because he would give up so much for us. So, is one idea, the kind of Lenten idea, the harsh demands, bad news? While another, the honorable response that we see in the time after Pentecost, good news? Is one right and the other wrong? Of course not. They are two different aspects of the same story, both of which deserve to be the focus of our attention 
every now and again. Jesus' journey to die as a criminal and Jesus' journey to rise victorious are the same story. They're the same good news. Jesus' harsh demand of discipleship and Jesus' invitation to salvation by faith through grace are one and the same. In just this quick exchange, Jesus taps into this apparent tension. The Pharisees warn him Herod is trying to kill him. Jesus knows that. And Jesus knows that soon enough the Pharisees will conspire to do the same. He goes to Jerusalem out of care for all of God's people, hoping to gather them as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And at the same time, names this harsh reality. Jerusalem, like most every other place, the way humans are, kills its innocence for speaking the truth. In their case, the prophets. They and we are hostile to God's demands, yet God seeks to save us anyway. So despite how much we can say in long sermons and extended volumes, sometimes Jesus's message is quick and to the point. He lays out all these realities while foreshadowing the crucifixion and resurrection in a quick message sent back to Herod. One more time, just for clarity's sake, back to that apparent tension. We might come at an exchange like this as rough news for Jesus and his followers. What with what comes next? Or we might come at an exchange like this as an instructional reminder of Christ's coming and glory, the eternal salvation we anticipate. After all, Jesus isn't worried about earthly powers like Herod. We don't use the exact same text both ways in the church year, but throughout the year of Luke, we do use this section, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, in both ways. Here in Lent, remembering, remembering our frailty and more... <laughs> I keep almost saying morality, our frailty and mortality, our need for a savior, we dwell on the extremes to which Jesus went for our sake. In the summer, the time after Pentecost, we will spend months along this exact same journey with Jesus, instead focusing on how we are to live in light of Jesus's impending return and eternal reign. Both sides are important, so we pay them both mind. By changing the theme of the day, conforming to the seasons of the church, we can pay the respect due to different aspects of the gospel, the Christ event, scripture as a whole, anything that has to do with God. The theme of our worship service informs our thinking, our perspective, our songs, our preaching, such that we get a fuller breadth of what Jesus means for the world by the time the year is out. So we've looked at a bit, we've looked a bit at why we do what we do, but before we get to the particular question, like what particular thing do we do, please hold all these thoughts for just a moment. Please hold the thought that we focus on different aspects on different Sundays, and we'll have a brief aside from our friend Peter, <laughs> from our text today from First Peter. See, this is a text that also implores the early church to behave. I mean, it commands us to take on the role of the priesthood, offering up prayers and sacrifices, again, kind of taking on the role, the work that Jesus set out to do during his ministry. The responsibility that used to be reserved for a small portion of the population, again, the priesthood, has been handed over to the whole church. The end result in this text is we receive mercy. Now, I'm highlighting that today because we're going to look at that more on Wednesday night. But for today, just consider the reason 1 Peter gives us for this priesthood that includes all believers. If we together were a metaphorical temple, Jesus would be the metaphorical cornerstone, the very first piece at the very foundation of 
all that we do. Everything we say and do then for the rest of this text, for the rest of the reflection, the rest of the morning, the worship service, can be informed by just that one idea, one metaphor, one theme. Last thing then. Last thing for this morning. We gotta, we gotta get there. We gotta answer the particular question. Why do we do what we do in worship? The thing I've been teasing all morning long, believe it or not, because I haven't even said it once, is the prayer of the day. Why do we have the prayer of the day? Yes, that little thing that like the confession, which we looked at on Wednesday, we can just breeze by it without a second thought. It, it, it's so short. Yet if we pay it the mind it deserves, it serves this incredibly, incredibly important function. It quickly and succinctly summarizes the theme for the day. It tells us up top the through line which connects the texts, the songs, the sermon, and the other prayers. It opens the window through which we will approach. Oh, not approach. We can use this metaphor more than that. It opens the window through which we will look at the gospel, which aspect that we are going to give its due. We're going to pay due respect to some aspect of our faith, more broadly, or the gospel more specifically, and the prayer of the day tells us which aspect that will be. This isn't just one more prayer meant to ask God for one more thing. This is centering our, centering our focus on God in regards to some aspect of how God has been revealed to us, what God offers us, and how we might come to know and love God more. Today, we looked at both sides of an important section in Luke. Jesus both laid heavy on our hearts the cost of discipleship, and the list of things we are called to do is long. At the same time, Jesus leaves us with the hope of salvation, an anticipation of an eternity of sinless, painless joy. If we were to take a morning to really look at one side or another, or when it comes again to any other aspect of the gospel, to really focus in on that aspect, the prayer of the day sets us there. It sets the tone, the theme, and gets us headed in that direction. So next week, note the prayer of the day and see just where those few words might be taking us instead. It should tell you which important aspect of our faith will be giving its due, if only for that hour. That's why we do what we do. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other and have a great rest of the week.